Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and free agency is upon us as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 47. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with former NFL general manager Phil Savage to talk about this whole process that we as football fans find ourselves in right now. It's NFL free agency. You may be listening to this podcast during the legal tampering period. So we're going to dive into this whole player acquisition process with Phil and everything that goes into that. Next up, we've got two technique where we're going to go one-on-one with Eagles offensive lineman Matt Tobin about what it's like to be a guard in a power run play. Matt was tendered by the team last week. So barring another team signing him to a contract, he'll be back in Eagles green this fall. And then we wrap up this week, this week's show like we do each and every week with Saturday Scouting where we look at another lineman from the same draft class as Matt Tobin, except this guy was just a little bit more highly regarded. That's former first-round pick Lane Johnson. We'll take a look at some notes on him coming out of Oklahoma. We've got a ton to get into, so let's get this show started. I mentioned it earlier. I caught up with Phil Savage to talk about what every team in the NFL is going through right now as I record this, the free agency process. Let's get things rolling with Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Very happy to be joined by Phil Savage, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, who does an excellent job of putting that event together each and every year. He's the former GM of the Cleveland Browns. He's been on with the Ravens and with the Eagles. You can check him out on ESPN Insiders, on Sirius XM, as the radio analyst for the national champion Alabama Crimson Tide. Phil, you're all over the place at this point. I'm really happy to have you on. And I want to ask you first, do you miss the chaos that surrounds this week on the NFL calendar? I know it's a very hectic week or so leading into this period that we sit in right now. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Fran. I appreciate it. And uh, Yes and no. Uh, you, you miss those days when you get the players that you want. Uh, you don't miss those days when you get the phone call that uh, the player is going to go elsewhere. So uh, it is a, it's a rush uh, unlike any other. Uh, as you put your team together uh, in trying to, to build your roster for the following season, fill holes that uh, you may have had from the year before, uh, take some chances on players maybe that are on the rebound or coming off of an injury or what have you. Uh, but it's definitely an exciting time, and this is, this is really the time of year where the personnel department can put their imprints uh, on the football team. Phil, what goes into this week? Take us from A to Z on just the whole process of free agency in general. Where, where is it that it starts, and then how does it end? You know, how do you guys come to the decision of who you're going to pursue and how hard you're going to pursue them? Yeah, Fran, let me go all the way back to the beginning, which is really your training camp. Uh, when you're uh, in the, what used to be called two-a-days, you've got your scouts on campus. They're looking at, at your own football team, and, you're really beginning to assess what you have for the season before the year actually begins. And so you have two different tracks going from August all the way through really now. One track is is your group of scouts devoted to college and, and the draft. The other track is your pro personnel department, which is scouting your upcoming opponents, uh, 
you know, evaluating your own players, evaluating the players that are uh, set to become free agents. And those are two totally different uh, job descriptions. But at some point, those tracks, even though they've been running parallel to each other for the last seven or eight months, they have to merge. And this is the time of year where they begin to merge as you lay your plans out. Okay, as an example, we've got plenty of depth in the interior defensive line class of this draft. Let's not spend much time or money going in that direction. Let's go to a position in free agency where we may not be able to address that uh, in the draft. So even though the two pieces of the puzzle are seen as uh, totally independent parts, the reality is is that the best personnel departments are able to merge and marry the two sides uh, in order to put the best players and get the best players on their team. Phil, what is the communication like during this whole process with the coaches and the personnel department in terms of really outlining what the coaching staff is looking for at each position? How often do those conversations take place? Yeah, you know, when I was a GM, we, of course, did all of our evaluations during the fall, during the football season, and then we would have our first pro personnel meeting sometime around Thanksgiving, that, that week either before or right after uh, Thanksgiving, and that would begin to forecast what which players might really be available and how much are they going to cost. And, you know, you start with a, a wider net of, of candidates, uh, obviously, over the winter, uh, some players uh, sign extensions. Some players uh, end up retiring. Some players end up falling by the wayside. Uh, so the, the list has been narrowed. By the time the season is over and you get the coaches involved, usually after the senior bowl, it's usually in the month of February, when you give a, a list to the offensive line coach or the running back coach or who, whomever uh, – whatever position that they're working with, uh, now you're beginning to integrate the, the coaching staff into it. And uh, ultimately, by the time uh, you go to the combine and everybody gets a chance to see most of the players that are going to be available in the draft, uh, when you come back that interim week, last week, is in essence when you lay out exactly your plan A, your plan B, your plan C in terms of which players you're going to target who you're going to go after. And, of course, now with this uh, preliminary uh, legal tampering period, I'm certain that a lot can get done. And as we've seen really just in these fir- in the first day and a half of this free uh, agency period, we've, we've seen a lot happen uh, between the teams. Obviously, the Eagles have been involved in a couple of trades. So there is a, a lot going on uh, in terms of the communication between uh, the GM, the head coach, and obviously the, the staff that's involved. Phil, one of the things that I've always been fascinated by when you look at the two different ways of team building, you can go through the draft, you can go through free agency, and obviously both teams are going to go into free agency at a certain level. Are you going to be able to put the same type of work in on a player's background and more so how he fits into your culture, how he fits into your building with a free agent or a player that you target in a trade as opposed to the draft? And how does that impact the way that you approach that period of time? So what, what, are, what kind of decisions are these, uh, these evaluators now going into this week saying, you know, hey, we want to sign this, this big-time 
cornerback from you know from a conference that you know they're, they're, they play out in the AFC West. If you have if you only seen that guy one, you know once every four years, how hard is it to really try and, and extrapolate how he'll fit inside your building? Yeah, I think that you have to rely on some of your contacts within the league. Uh, hopefully, there may be a person or two uh, as as part of your staff, either a, a coach or a scout, that may have a background with a player uh, from another team, a, a different organization. You know, I've always turned it this way, Fran. For college scouts, they're the ones who draw up or write the menu. In other words, they're the ones that are actually describing what it is that this player is going to bring to the table and how he forecasts into the NFL. In pro personnel, uh, they're actually their job is not to write up the menu, but to really order off the menu because for most pro players, you have the reports from their college days, you have reports now from their first several years of being in the NFL, whether it was with one team or several teams, whether it was uh, an exhibition game in the summer or he's a full-fledged 16-game starter. And so, you know, to me that's a, a huge distinction in terms of the differences between college and pro. College, uh, you're, you're, you're making that first impression of what the player perhaps will be Pro, you're really assessing what he has become and what he might be able to do for your organization. And I think it's important for everybody to understand that. And, and then, of course, the, the other big part of it is what the player is actually going to cost. I mean, if you see him as a hamburger, you don't want to pay, you know, grade-A steak prices for a hamburger. And that's really the danger of free agency. Yeah, and that's when you start getting into the whole debate of valuation versus evaluation. It's a really, really interesting topic that I feel like I could do an entire week's worth of podcast just on that one specific topic. But uh, transitioning now to the Senior Bowl, and obviously you, you know, I've, I've been going now to this down to Mobile every year now for the past six years, and I've got to say it's my favorite trip every year because you and your staff have done such a great job of making it a more efficient process for everybody, for the players, the coaches, the staff, the media, everybody involved. You get so much out of that week-long trip. When you look at some of the players that have come through there this, this past year, one of the top prospects I thought in attendance this, you know, back in January was Reggie Raglan, the linebacker from Alabama. Obviously, you've got a pretty good idea of what he could do at the next level because of your history with the Crimson Tide. One of the big concerns is his athletic ability and how, how much value he can bring to third down in coverage. I found it very interesting that he was used in a number of different ways down in Mobile. What are your feelings on Reggie going into the NFL, and how can he impact third down? Well, I think he's as close to being a full-fledged Mike that can stay on the field for all three downs as you're going to find uh, in this era uh, of football. You know, the college game is, is so spread out now. Uh, you just don't see the classic Mike that can't run anymore. And I know there was some question about how fast he would be. He ran 472 at the combine, which is plenty fast enough. I, I saw Reggie not only, you know, play very stout on the inside, but then he would run to the edges and, and make plays on the perimeter. Uh, here in Mobile, he asked to be utilized as an outside linebacker to show some of his rush potential uh, as an outside backer. Uh, he did that uh, fairly well to a degree, but his calling card is going to be 
as a Mike linebacker in the center of a defense, calling the, the, the signals, being a communicator on the field. Uh, he really excelled in that role for Alabama. And, you know, I don't know exactly where he's going to go in the first round, but I would say this. I thought the Raiders overdrafted Rolando McClain back in the day when he went eighth overall. I thought that was a little rich for what he was really going to bring to the table. I think is a more uh, complete prospect than McLean because I think his intangibles are better. And so with that being said, I could see him going as high as, as 8 or 9 in this draft uh, or as low as somewhere in the 20s. But, you know, if the Eagles are interested in this kind of player, uh, he very well could be staring them right in the face at pick 13. Phil, one area of concern, I think, for Eagles fans at this point, looking at the secondary. You know, you look at some of the top players that were available down at, down at the Senior Bowl. You saw Jalen Mills, a guy who has played some safety. He's played some nickel. He's played outside a corner. He played outside corner down in Mobile, even though some people see him at safety. Sean Davis... The, the corner from Maryland, played corner the last year and a half. I've compared him in the past to Eric Rowe, a guy you guys had down there in 2015, and he played safety down this year at Mobile. What, what are your thoughts on both of those players? Do you see both of them as potential corners, as safeties? How do you see them best fitting for their future NFL teams? Yeah, I think with Sean Davis uh, from Maryland, the way he tested at the Combine, the fact that most of his experience was at safety rather than corner, I think he's the better prospect at safety because uh, of his explosiveness, his overall speed. Uh, his numbers would be good at corner. They're great at safety. So I think that really is the way for him to distinguish himself. And then with Jalen Mills, you know, he's a player that you've got to go back and trust the tapes and trust what you saw down in Mobile. He, he ran a bit of a disappointing time at the Combine in that 4-6 the low 4-6 range. As a pure corner, that's questionable. But as a nickel corner, uh, dime corner, as a, as a valuable member of a secondary, uh, I think you know he's plenty fast enough. He's got excellent hand-eye coordination. He's got a good sense uh, and knack for making plays on the football. Uh, I think he can be you know, that versatile piece for a secondary. He can give you reps at corner. He can give you reps at safety. He can play uh, down inside, over the slot. So, you know, to me, he's just a good football player. Uh, the numbers may not match up with what you think of him as a, as a true football player. Uh, but to me, uh, he's going to be a valuable addition for somebody. And then the last question I have for you, Phil, you brought up the combine. And there were a few really notable snubs, I thought, off the senior ball roster. And the three that comes to mind for me, you got Jake Coker, the quarterback from Alabama. You have the tight end from Iowa, Henry Krieger-Kobel. And then the safety from Middle Tennessee State, Kevin Byard. For those three guys, who for you was the biggest surprise to be left off the combine invite list? Well, I think Kevin Byard, the safety from Middle Tennessee, this is a young man that had 318 career tackles. Uh, 19 interceptions, you know, that's usually not luck uh, when a guy ends up with almost 20 career interceptions. And, you know, from what I saw in Mobile, I didn't think that uh, he was didn't belong. And so I was very surprised that he was not part of the, the combine invite list. To me, he's probably the number one defensive prospect out there uh, outside the combine. And the good news for him is that 41 players from last year 
that were not in Indianapolis ended up being drafted. I think he can be one of those number uh, this year, one of that number, rather. And then, you know, with Jake Coker, uh, I think I'm actually on my way to Tuscaloosa today for Pro Day tomorrow. And I think if Jake Coker can show a real distinction between his uh, practice work in Mobile and his game tapes in Alabama to where he is now in terms of the quickness of his delivery, if he can insh- if he can show true improvement, which I've seen some clips of his workouts in recent days, I think it could be very dramatic and drastic for him. And if that happens, at 6'5", 236 pounds, I cannot imagine that there were 18 other quarterbacks across the country that would deserve a shot more than him. Well, Phil, really great stuff again, and thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We will talk to you again very soon. Okay, Fran, always enjoy it, man. Good luck to you guys. I appreciate it. Great stuff from Phil, and again, you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Senior Bowl Phil, and while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm on and all the X's and O's content that gets produced here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really appreciate everyone that promotes this podcast on social media. We've got a lot more to get into, but it's that time. Let me welcome in my favorite guy in the room, the man with a plan, Brian Thomas. What's up, ET? What's up, sir? How are you? Doing all right. It's a one, one or two-week hiatus for you. Yeah. You've, you've been on the road. You've been the trailblazer been, last uh, week. Been traveling a little bit. It went from Combine. Came back the weekend. Next week, went out to uh, to Yazoo City, Mississippi. Uh, one of your favorite players. It's one of my favorite players, and I. It's funny. I went out with uh, one of our producers, Nick Rotunda. He said, "Did you ever think you'd be to Yazoo City twice in, in four years?" And I'm like, <laughs> "That's a good point, Nick. I never thought, never thought I'd do it twice, but it was a uh, it was a fun trip." So, what, what did you guys cover with Fletcher Cox? So we did a, we did kind of a story. It's called a goal to go, but really what it is is just looking back at child, uh, Fletcher's childhood, kind of who he was. Talked a little bit his his mom, his sisters. Um, and then kind of how he got into football and kind of how he got his start. So we went back to his high school. Um, we talked to his high school, the p- position coach who he was really close with, talked to his high school counselor who was really instrumental in getting him uh, into awesome. college. So it was, it was a cool trip just to learn more about who Fletcher was when he was a kid. Awesome. Well, you can look forward to that again. That's going to be a goal to go, and that will be on the site later this fall as well as on our show Inside the Eagles. So really excited about that. And obviously – a big talk, BT. It's free agent. You it's, come back for free agent. I was going to say, I come back and all of a sudden there's all these deals going on. So I'm like, I guess, uh, I guess I'm coming right back in the middle of things. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's nice to have, to have some stuff to talk about, but uh, we'll, we'll certainly be busy going forward. Yeah, and you, you gave me some homework while you were away. You said, all right, we're getting ready for the free agency show. You know, we're going to have Phil Savage on. So yep. he said, I got some homework for so you. Who, so who are some of your top five free Eagles free agents signings of all time? And I, I could probably think of a few. I remember there was one when we were in high school. Yes. That was, that was really, really exciting. Well, you were talking about Javon Curse. Yes. yes. <laughs> I remember I was, I was leaving high school. and For I got, those of you guys who don't know, BMPT went to high school, actually graduated high school together, Cheltenham High School, uh, class of 04. Yeah. But go ahead. Yes. No, so I remember <laughs> we were leaving school that, that day. I get home, and this was back when ESPN News had a, had a in the bottom right had kind of like their breaking news. So they, they would just put a little text in there. Yeah. Eagles signed Javon Curse, and I kept turning the TV off and turning <laughs> back. I was like, "Is that right?" So um, I definitely remember those those days of uh, when we we went uh, went crazy in the free agency. But uh, what do you got? All right. So when you said this to me, I wanted to keep it in the modern era, you know, because let's remember Pete Retzlaff, who was one of the best players in the Eagles. <laughs> the Eagles actually got him off waivers for a hundred dollars. Uh, no, I'm not going to even count. I was going to try to stick to the modern era of football, but. Uh, number five of all time, I went 1999, fall of 1999, the Eagles picked up David Akers. And it wasn't during the free agency period, it was during waivers, but so many big kicks in his career. You could argue that he's the best kicker in Eagles history, a six-time Pro Bowler, a five-time 
All-Pro during his time here in Philadelphia. You know, you can remember those big kicks in the playoffs against the Giants and the Packers, all those playoff wins. I went with David Akers at five. Number four, I went from March 1995, Ricky Waters. Favorite player. One of my favorite players. So, like, everybody always remembers him for who for what. But he was one of the most dynamic running backs in the NFL. He carried those playoff teams in the mid-'90s without much to talk about uh, on the rest of that offensive side of the football. I think he had 3,000 yards three consecutive years, and he's one of the only running backs to do it. So everyone gave him a lot of flack here, but he was really productive when he played here. No question about it. So number three, I went back to March 2008, Asante Samuel. We signed him for the New England Patriots. He was the jewel of that free agent class. 25 picks in four years helped lead the team to an NFC title in, in or to the NFC title game in 2008. Instinctive, great ball skills, obviously a great personality. You're not going to find many people that's like Asante Samuel. He, he certainly loved ETN and, and working with ETN. <laughs> and uh, I, I miss I miss his uh, loquacious uh, personality. Yes, very much so. So uh, number two on my list, February 2000, John Runyon, the first big free agent signing by Andy Reid, and you could argue it was probably the best. Uh, John Runyon pl- played every single snap. Yeah, set the tone. Wow. Every single snap for nine years in Philadelphia. They won ten playoff games with him on the roster since he left. Not How many won. people can say they played every single snap in any any place they played it? Yeah. Whether it was two years or nine years. I mean, that's, that's impressive. Very, very impressive. And then number, number one, back to March 1996, Hometown. they signed him from the Miami Dolphins. Cornerback Troy Vincent, eight years here in Philadelphia, was the, the consummate leader ultimate productor, you know, 29 picks, five straight Pro Bowls, great size, great speed, could have been a guy that, you know, if he was coming out in the draft now, everybody would be really high on because he had that great size-speed combination, could play anywhere in the secondary. Troy Vincent, my number one and a Eagles local, free agent. And a local kid. Of course. Played, played at, uh, at, Pen- at Pensbury. So yeah. it's funny, when they signed him, I knew he was from the area, and I'm like, Troy Vincent, the guy I've heard, you know, growing up being an Eagles fan, you know, sometimes we had some, we had some down years, so... Whenever we signed a big-name player, and I remember him playing down in Miami. I was really excited to have him here. Always loved uh, Troy Vincent and Bobby Taylor, one of my favorite that was a, corner duos that was, of all time. That was, that was awesome. I was, I was sad when they had Alito and Sheldon, but yeah. that was, to me, that was the best like duo into duo. But, yes. Uh, but this is, this is a good list. I, love, I loved Runyon. He set the tone for that. Those, those it was tough teams. going between him and Vincent. I was going to say, one, yeah, you put him two, and I was like, that's interesting. Most people would probably just chalk and put him one well, yeah. because he set the tone. He was Andy's first thing. But, but Troy... Uh, Especially that was that was Ray Rose era. That yep. was right before Andy came in, but he he obviously stayed throughout the Andy. Helped to carry that through to the next side. So, all right, well, let's keep this show going. The one position I think Eagles fans are most anxious about heading into this offseason is the offensive line. So we're going to spend the next two segments of the show talking about that group. First up, I chatted with Matt Tobin about the power run game. Let's get to that conversation right now in two technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for two technique. Here now with the Eagles offensive lineman, Matt Tobin. And, Matt, uh, one of the plays, I think, that in talking with former offensive linemen that have now retired, one of the things that they missed most was getting out on the move as a puller uh, in a power scheme. Can you just talk about what are the different things that go through your mind when you know, okay, we're running power and I'm getting on the move. What are the first things that are coming to your mind pre-snap? Uh, don't show it away in your stance, mainly. That's the first thing because otherwise the defense will read that and they'll know the play's coming. And then uh, get a good skip pull, keep your shoulders square, Come right off that double team if it's Barber and Peters. Come right off of Peters' hip and uh, stay inside out on that backer. Is it more about when you're lining up to play that, is it, okay, I know I'm getting play side backer, or is it almost like first guy in the hole? What exactly are you expecting? Um, so the center points to who I'm going to pull for, and uh, if, if, if there is no hole, I just got to go in there and clear it out. Um, coach says if it gets muddy, just clear it out. 
and then you talked about not hiding, not giving away your weight. Uh, what are the different things you can do to try and hide that weight transfer, and how you can uh, line up pre-snap? Uh, I mean, don't just don't get sitting way back in your hips, or don't uh, get a small split leaning. You know, just uh, have a normal stance. Would, would it be fair to say that it might be your favorite block? What, what would be your favorite block? And uh, across all spectrum, getting out on a screen, drive block, down block. What are the different? Uh, what would, where would that rank in terms of your favorite blocks? Uh, it's up there. I like uh, sweep zone where you pull out and you get outside and uh, go try to cut one of those safeties or something. Great stuff there from Matt. He did a great job breaking down the specifics of the power run play as a guard. So now I'm going to quickly break down how to subscribe to a podcast. If you're listening to this on the Eagles app or on the Eagles website, it's really easy. All you have to do is just go to your device, your tablet, your phone, go to your local podcast app and search for Eagle Eye in the Sky. Hit subscribe and the show gets downloaded to your phone each and every week and you can listen whenever or wherever you want. It's that simple. So all you got to do, you go on, you can search for Eagle Eye in the Sky. You can search for Journey to the Draft. You can search for the Eagles Live podcast with Dave Spadaro. You hit subscribe and that show, now you can listen whenever, wherever you want. So let's wrap this show up like we do each and every week. Let's get into Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, B, so I wanted to get into Saturday scouting this week and look at Lane Johnson, a guy obviously he signed the big extension very early in the offseason, uh, is certainly going to be seen as one of the linchpins of this Eagles offense moving forward over the next five years. And I thought, all right, let's take a look back and some of my notes on him coming out of Oklahoma. Obviously, he, he was a big-time uh, big prospect coming out of college. Play quarterback, that's the thing. You know, you look that. at, I'll start off with my notes, you know, lined up at left tackle in, t- in 2012 after playing right tackle as a junior. This was just his second year along the offensive line as he has spent time as a tight end and a defensive lineman at Oklahoma and was a junior college quarterback. It's easy to forget, actually, <laughs> that this is only Lane's sixth year playing in the offensive line coming up this fall. I mean, he's still very, very and green. And the fourth pick in the draft to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, so going back to the notes, had a great week of practice at the Senior Bowl and is a great athlete for the tackle spot. Gets out of his stance quickly and is really light on his feet. Johnson has great feet and easily has the ability to protect the corner against speed rushers while also displaying the quickness to mirror against interior pressure. And you saw that this past year. I can remember that game against Greg Hardy was one of Lane's best games of his career here as an Eagle, uh, the way that he shut down Greg Hardy against the Cowboys. He, He was very quiet. Uh, he flashes the ability to anchor and sit down against a bull rush. When he plays with good technique, he really looks the part. Works well in tandem with his left guard in the zone run game and projects really well to that kind of scheme at the next level. Has the movement skills to search and destroy at the second level, both in the run game as well in the screen, as in the screen game. And what I mean by that was that he was a guy that if you... One of the hardest things for an offensive lineman to do is get out in space and latch onto a moving target. Because remember... Those linebackers, those safeties, they're not standing still. They're right. also they're moving. Predators. So it's hard for – exactly. Yeah. It's hard for a 300-pound guy to be able to, on break the down. run, break down, latch onto a player and finish a block. That's and what makes Jason Peters so, so yeah. good because he, those, those bubble screens, those screens, he's able to get out and actually get contact on those guys. Exactly right. And Lane was able to do that. Uh, and it's not, a, it's not an easy thing for an offensive lineman to do. Easily locates moving targets on the run and can finish. A physical player that displays a nasty demeanor and looks to consistently finish blocks. Now the negatives, inconsistent with his hand placement both in the run and pass games, and that's to be expected considering the lack of experience. Want to see him continue to get stronger and get more consistent movement at the point of attack in the run game. Has the tendency to stop his feet on contact. And when you do that at the NFL level, if you latch on and stop your feet, you're done. You're, you're in trouble. One, you don't play with a good base and you can get thrown off. But then two, that's where you get called for holding. If you're not running your feet through contact and, you're, and you, your feet get stuck in quicksand, you're, you're almost going to get a, a 
flag thrown every single time. Overall, his lack of experience is glaring whenever you watch him in Oklahoma, but the upside is undeniable. He has the potential to be the top tackle in this draft class when it's all said and done, and it would not surprise me to hear teams view him that way after the draft. I think that Johnson moving forward, I'd say he's kind say, of... How do you think he fits kind of in this hybrid West Coast? I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the offense going forward. Yeah. What do you, where do you think he fits? Well, I think that, you know, I think right now, obviously he's going to be the right tackle. J, JP's still here. He's going to be the left tackle for the next couple of years. When you see JP move on eventually and when he does retire, now you're going to have Lane Johnson slide over and he's going to be able to you pick that up. think he'll definitely slide over? I, I, would, I would think so. I mean, he certainly has the ability to be that. And people... Look, Lane has been a little bit up and down, and I think he would be the first to admit that throughout his first couple of years here in Philly. But when he's on, I mean, he's, he has the ability to be a top five, top ten offensive tackle in the NFL because of that combination of size, his strength, and his movement skills. A really, really impressive athlete. For and the left tackles spot. are obviously hard to find. No they, question. They, they cover more, sides than, more times than not. They cover the quarterback's blind side. Yep. So um, if he can, obviously, if you find somebody that can play that position, you obviously put, write them in right you away. lock it up. Exactly right. Well, thanks again to Phil, to Matt Tobin, and all of you out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And if you get the time, again, go on, rate the show, leave us a comment, let us know what you think, shoot me a question. I want to continue to hear from everybody out there and make all of you happy. So wherever you listen, just shoot us a comment, and we can keep making this show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.